The views and opinions expressed on this show are those of the sponsor, Christina Leavenworth with Levin Rinky Realty. Pensacola expert panel and she's here and she will make your home dreams come true is Christina Leavenworth. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? I am great and I just like just said I was thinking about you in this morning because when you're thinking about a home or oh gosh I, I who comes to mind Christina Leavenworth as it should. I love it. That's awesome. Well, today, you know, I do like to talk about just pretty homes all the time. However, you know, we also like to give you guys real advice, real things that, you know, actually matter in your world. So I brought on Therese McKenzie. She is one of the top family law attorneys in our area. And just for her to give us some advice um, on things that she deals with, because unfortunately, we often do, you know, deal with, you know, transactions involving divorce. And it's a complicated process. And just some tips from her as far as the best thing families should do if they're in that situation. First of all, good morning. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited to be here. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, what are some of the things that families should know if they're going through this situation when it comes to dividing real estate assets? Right. So, So typically in your kind of what I say average divorce, the most significant asset that the family has typically accumulated is going to be their house, right? It's their home. Sometimes it's their dream home. And, you know, now you're facing yourself, uh, in the middle of a divorce or you're contemplating divorce. And it's, you know, the first question that you have to, to uh, ask yourself is, do I want to keep this house? Is, mm-hmm. is, and, and then why do you want to keep the house? Because there's lots that goes into that, you know. Sometimes people kind of have a, this emotional reaction and they love the house and it's, yes, I want to keep it. But, you know, there's lots of other things that go into to, to being able to stay in the house, mm-hmm. you know, provided that the, the other spouse agrees or the court awards you the house in the uh, uh, divorce, like, can you afford the house post-divorce? And that's, that's, that's a, a big, big thing one. with how high interest rates are, as well as how much home values have gone up. Um, you're not going to be paying the same price that you got it for 20 years ago. Correct. So you're going to be paying today's prices for it. Correct. So, you know, kind of depending on what other assets that the family has accumulated, you know, there could be situations where you have the house and the equity in the house, perhaps it equals, you know, a retirement account that the husband is going to keep. So, you know, then the wife doesn't have to buy him out. But in a situation where the only significant as- asset or, or equity is in the house, then whoever wants to keep that house is going to have to buy the other spouse out. And, you know, most families don't have that kind of cash laying around, mm-hmm. so they need to refinance, which, you know, these days the interest rates are high. So, you know, what I tell clients is even, you know, when we're starting the process is, is do your homework, you know, talk to your, your bank um, and your broker and, and see if you can get pre-approved for the refinances, uh, refinancing. And, you know, and it's, you know, create a budget for yourself. Even if you can get approved for the refinancing, is this really 
worth it at the end of the day for you to fight for this house. Yes, you have an emotional connection to it. Maybe your children love the home, but is it going to be best for you at the end of the day to stay in this house? Yeah, and it's really important to have a good team around you where you have a good family law attorney. You have a lender who is experienced with this type of thing as far as figuring out how you could keep the house if you want to, and a real estate team that has experience with divorces because it's a whole different deal versus, you know, the family that just had another baby and they're super excited to get their move up home and sell the other. This is a different, more emotional, complicated deal. Right. And that that was going to be my next point. It's, it's selecting and agreeing on a uh, experienced realtor that can help you through the process. Because like you said, you know, this is, you know, not most instances a couple that's not going through a good time. So there's a lot of emotional baggage that comes along with it. Mm -hmm. So you want to to make sure that you're selecting a real estate team that can kind of help you. So if you and your spouse have decided that you want to sell the house, um, you know, it's, it's agreeing on who the uh, listing agent is going to be. Mm-hmm. And, you know, very often, you know, the, the people are getting divorced for a reason, right? Because they usually can't agree. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> agree on things. So what I, I try to do or, or try to tell people is even if we are doing a divorce agreement, a settlement, is to uh, agree on the realtor up front because, you know, sometimes we just put language in there that says, all right, the parties will mutually agree upon the realtor and, you know, things like that. But, you know, sometimes they come back because, you know, emotions what? get involved. Yeah. They couldn't even agree on the realtor. <laughs> Absolutely. And we even, when we do it, we talk about price reductions at the beginning. You know, if we don't get an offer in X amount of time, here's what we're going to do with the price and get everyone to agree on it at the same time. So you're not going back trying to be like, can we do a price reduction? Because they're probably not going to do it, uh, you know, down the road. Right. And that's another thing, too, that you got to make sure that, you know, if you find yourself going in through a divorce and you've agreed to sell, you know, the, the main house or investment property or whatever it is, make sure that you have language or that, you know, your attorney puts language in the agreement that plans for contingencies. Right. Yes. Like kind of make sure that, OK, what are going to be the perimeters for for listing price, accepting an offer? Because you can't have one person that kind of runs mm-hmm. the show and gets to dictate everything. But you also need to have some sort of conflict resolution built in there. So, for example, sometimes if if uh, the parties can't agree, then their realtor gets to decide. You exactly. know, they have to take that into consideration. So that so that's a way that you can kind of plan for those contingencies in the uh, marital settlement agreement and having a neutral party. You can't have someone that is siding with one or anything like that where they're trained in being neutral the entire time, looking out for both parties and not, you know, hearing one person's side versus the other, you know. And maybe that, you know, realtor may not seem real emotional, but that's how you want them to be. Correct. Where they can sit there and get you through this versus, you know, crying with you at the same time. Yes, I mean, and that's the same goes for for when you know when you're picking a divorce attorney. You, yeah. you gotta you gotta pick someone who's going to be able to main objective because the person who's going through the divorce is probably not going to think, you know, clearly all the time, probably most of the time, because it's, you know, divorce is it's a tragedy. Is a, yeah. Yeah. It's a very traumatic experience. So you need to make sure that you have a, a divorce attorney and, and a realtor that's going to be able to say, hey, you're not looking at this correctly or think about all these other scenarios mm-hmm. and kind of, you know, helping them guide you through that process. So you're not making emotional decisions. You are making you know, logical decisions that's going to actually improve your life post-divorce. 
Okay, what other tips do you have, you know, in the process of all this? You know, another thing that's important is um, getting an appraisal done. And this, obviously, if the house is going to be sold, you don't need an appraisal. But if one party is going to keep the house as part of the divorce, I always tell tell the clients, you know, let's get an appraisal. Because without an appraisal, you're not really going to have an accurate value for the house. So if you're trying to figure out what the equity is and the buyout amount or, you know, how much of other assets you're going to offset that equity with, you need to have a value. I mean, the court needs to have a value of the property too. So, you know, getting an appraisal is important. Um, you know, and I do recognize that not every family can can afford the extra cost of, of doing an appraisal. I mean, sometimes you can contact uh, a realtor mm-hmm. too, get some comps, get yeah. the kind of a, a fair value. What and they we think can do there. a CMA. You know, we're not an appraiser, but we have been trained to do a comparative market analysis where we can give them that to work with, and that's a hundred percent free if you call us. And an appraisal is typically around five hundred dollars. I did have a situation once where one spouse felt like the appraisal wasn't fair. And they're like, There's, this wasn't fair. They they swayed things. First of all, the appraiser appraisers can't be swayed. You know, sometimes <laughs> when I have homes listed, I wish I could sway them to make it worth more. But um, they, they're, you know, a non-biased party. And their license is at stake if they're doing a faulty appraisal. But have you had it where you've said, okay, let's get two appraisals and then we'll take the average? Correct. So sometimes what ends up happening is, let's say, for example, you know, the wife goes out and hire a uh, an appraiser. And then the husband is like, well, I don't really think it's worth that much or I think it's worth mm-hmm. worth more they'll then go out and get their own appraisal done and typically what ends up happening is that we'll just meet in the middle at that point got it yeah so no an appraisal is a great you know thing to start with at what point should people start thinking about doing all this like the day they go I don't want to be married anymore or is this something they need to wait on no I would st- I always tell people you know my first meeting with them is kind of like okay this is what you need to start preparing yourself for you know create the budget decide if if you want to keep the house and if you want to keep the house, can you keep the house? Is it within your budget? And when I'm saying your budget, it's not, you know, the budget that you have right now where you're a two income household. It's what it's going to be realistically mm-hmm. your income after the divorce. You know, are you going to be paying alimony? Uh, will you be receiving any alimony? Who's going to be paying child support? So kind of, you know, setting some some realistic expectations so then they can plan accordingly and then go ahead and start the process of, of the pre-approval to mm-hmm. say, you know, if you make the decision, it's like, you know what, I really want to keep this home. Can you? Yeah. Can you? Will you be able to get refinanced because refinance because we see that a lot of time too uh sometimes we do you know mediations or divorce agreements where we write in there that uh, one spouse is going to keep the house and uh they're going to refinance within 90 days or whatever and uh if you don't have a good attorney (laughs) that's representing you that knows to plan for contingencies I've, I've seen a lot of people come into me after the fact, after the divorce is over and say hey my spouse was supposed to refinance the the house she got it she hasn't done it. I hear this all the time, <laughs> all the time. So what do you do? So then you're stuck because your agreement didn't have have any contingencies mm-hmm. planned for. So what you need to make sure is that uh, if you are, are on the mortgage and you are going to let your spouse stay in the house, that uh, in the event she or he is unable to refinance, then what is going to happen? Mm-hmm. 
you know, are we going to, to sell the house? And if we're going to sell the house, who's going to be responsible for making sure that the, the mortgage and everything is paid in the interim? I mean, there's so many things that you've got to kind of like plan for. It's always kind of like what if scenarios. What if X happens, then Y? Yeah. You know, to, to make sure that you don't find yourself in a situation where, you know, you can't get off the mortgage because the spouse can't refinance but you already gave her the house and the divorce mm -hmm. and now it's still on your credit and you know you have to try to go back and somehow fix it in court and you're going to spend more money on attorney's fees so um, i always tell people spend the extra money up front getting a good attorney because yeah. <laughs> it usually have saves you a lot of money right yeah absolutely at the back end of everything well even you know i've had it where we write in the showing schedule because sometimes one spouse may just deny every showing. So in that agreement, you agree to show between 9 to 5, Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays. And then that way you have that track record. And if they don't do it, then you go back to the attorneys and go back to court. Yeah, yeah, that's an, that's an excellent uh, You know, where it's like different things like that. And also response time on offers. If someone ghosts you for a week, like they're not allowed to do that. And you get all that in writing. It's so important to get everything in writing. Yeah, and it's also, I mean, you have to be detailed to the point where, you know, whoever is staying in the house until it gets sold, they have to make sure it's clean. They have yeah. to make sure it looks good. It can't be, you know, you have a showing and there's, you know, dishes in the sink. and To sabotage yeah. it. Yeah, right. exactly. To sab sabotage the deal somehow. So, you know, if you, if you plan ahead and you're careful with, with crafting the agreement, you, yeah. can, uh, you can avoid that. And I think I've mentioned this to you with our team. When we handle divorce deals, we can assign two agents. So one spouse has one agent and the other has another one, both totally neutral, where you're not, you, you just at least feel like you have your own representation, which is no other, you know, real estate company in this area does that. So it's something different where we just really specialize in that. Yeah. And that's great. That's a great service that you guys offer to the community. And it costs the same amount of money. Right. It's not right. going to cost any more. It just makes um, it a better process and a better process is be always better for everyone. Right. Because, because it saves money at the end of the day too. Absolutely. If the process goes smoothly, it prevents people from ending up back in court and paying more money. In yeah. Fees. And just the, you know, emotional toll that takes on you every single time. What about, you know, when you are getting married and you have property prior to marriage? And I'm sure some people might have different thoughts on this. What are some things? I, so when you are married and you buy a property because a spousal binder in the state of Florida, even if you're the only one on the mortgage, explain how it's both of your property. Correct. So in Florida, anything that is acquired during the course of the mar uh, during the course of the marriage, regardless of whose name it is titled in or who's on the mortgage, it is presumed to be a marital asset. Mm -hmm. Okay. So it's it's property that upon divorce will be divided 50-50. You you both have an equal equal share. So sometimes it happens quite frequently is that one party or one spouse owned uh, real estate prior to the marriage. So anything that you walk into the marriage with, any assets that you own prior remains kind of your premarital assets. But there are some exceptions to that because there's always exceptions. <laughs> the exception is uh, if you commingle the assets. So let's say you uh, owned a house during the before the marriage and then during the marriage you go to your spouse and say I love you so much I, I, well, I want you to co-own this house with me and you put your spouse's name on a title well guess what now that is a marital property same thing if you have you know a premarital IRA and then during the marriage you roll it over into a different one and you continue to contribute to that IRA well now you've commingled um and and the same thing uh 
with the house. So if you own a premarital house, even if you're not transferring title over to your spouse during the marriage, if there is a mortgage on the house, either when you get married or it's taken out during the marriage and you are paying down on that mortgage, and it doesn't mean it doesn't matter whose income is, is paying down the mortgage, um, it's then that now portion, it's now it, that portion is becoming marital. So whatever the pay down of the principal of the mortgage is, plus, you know, any active and passive appreciation that occurs during the course of the marriage, now that enhanced value becomes marital property that is subject to division. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean that the the spouse can get titled to the property, but when we're doing the property division, we have to take into consideration what the increase in value is. So let's say, for example, you owned a house and uh, it was worth $100,000 when you got married, you had a mortgage on it, and now uh, you go and you get a divorce, it's now worth $200,000 and you you paid out pay down the mortgage. So the calculation is a little bit complex, it's in the statute, but essentially, just to make the math easy, the house has appreciated, maybe, you know, had appreciated a little bit before the marriage. But let's say, you know, we can prove that $70,000 was to increase the value during the course of the marriage. Well, now you owe your your non-owner spouse $35,000 yeah. from that house. And that's usually a shock to people when they come in and they're like, well... I pay the mortgage with my paycheck. And I was like, well, anything that you earn during the course of the marriage is marital income. So if you pay down a mortgage on a non-marital property, she's entitled to a portion, or he is. And if you're going through a divorce and you're like, okay, I need to get out of here. I'm going to go just buy another house so I have somewhere else to live. If you're doing that while you're still married, they're entitled to half of that. Correct. So, and we talk to them and they're like, well, I was the only one on the mortgage. I'm the only one on title. It doesn't matter. You know, and we talk to them about that and they get upset or, yeah, that's something they bought during marriage and somehow the other spouse's name didn't get on it. And we're like, no, we need them on the listing agreement. And they just don't believe us. Right. I'm like, no. I'm like, here's <laughs> the law. It is both of yours. And we can't sell it without their permission. Yeah, and very often, you know, people during the initial consultation has has a little bit of a reality check, a little bit of a shock when they leave the office because they're like, wow, I, I didn't know all this. And sometimes, like, if they are still married and it is only their name on it and maybe the um, title company doesn't know a divorce is happening, I've had it where they are like, no, I don't see your wife here. That money needs to go into both accounts, in two separate accounts. You can't try to just sell it and get all that money in your account. And we've seen that as well. Correct. And people get frustrated, especially when they're not going through it. They're like, what are you talking about? Like, of course I'm going to give her half. But they have to presume maybe something's going on that they don't know about and they don't want to get in trouble. Right. Right. And we do that, too, when we draft the settlement agreements. If there is, a, you know, the, how the split is going to happen. And we write it that it will happen at closing so mm-hmm. that the closing agent will then disperse the funds according to how the uh, settlement agreement is written. And what happens sometimes, too, is that even while the divorce is ongoing, the parties agree that, you know what, we're going to list a property for sale because we know we're going to sell it. And then it ends up selling during the uh, during the course of the litigation the case is not over yet and what happens sometimes in those cases is that uh, the parties will agree for one of the divorce attorneys to hold the proceeds in their trust account until we know how everything is going to shake out in the divorce so someone can't go and like spend all that money real quick Correct. and you know put the other person in a bad situation um, what are some other things that you often see that people should know about well, I think the big one, I think we covered it already, but uh, it's, the, it's the pre-approval. That mm-hmm. one usually gets people, or they, they fight so hard for the house, and sometimes they get it, 
and you know they didn't do their homework and you know then and they, they ultimately don't yeah. get to keep it. And they, they don't spend get to all keep this time, right. energy, and effort fighting for the house. Yeah. So, and we have great lenders who can get you pre-approved very, very quickly. This is not a, you know, week-long process. It's probably a thirty-minute phone call Correct. where they look into that and they'll look at the settlement and what's proposed, and they'll be able to tell you really quickly or at least say, "Hey, don't hold me to it, but I think you're going to be okay." Or, "Ooh, that's going to be tight. It may not work out." And especially with interest rates rising, like you said, maybe if they start this process six months ago and got pre-approved at five and a half six percent you need to call your lender again and see could you refinance at today's rates right correct which is something to think about you know and another thing too is, is to keep in mind that you know when you're going through a divorce and you're either negotiating or you're at mediation or whatever is that you can kind of be creative with it right mm -hmm. so as long as both parties agree you know it doesn't have to be uh, an immediate refinance either. If, mm -hmm. if you really want your, for example, wife to stay in the house because maybe you have children, the children want to stay in the house because of the school district or whatever, you know, don't make it 60, 90 days. Say, you know, she has a year. Mm -hmm. Say she has a year and a half to get the refinancing. You know, kind of to figure out too sometime what, what, what it is that, kind of like the, the ultimate goal. And we see that sometimes too is that uh, – Sometimes uh, one party will stay in the house until um, a, part, a, a child reaches the age of 18 or until maybe they finish middle school because they want to stay in that school district too. So sometimes um, we can work out agreements when one party will stay in the house for a, a set period of time and then uh, after the expiration of that time, they sell the house at that point. So maybe that will be five years, 10 years, or a year later, but you can kind of be creative with it. But the sooner you find out, the more creative you can be. We just got a question saying, why in the state of Florida does my name have to be on the title? Okay. Uh, so I need to, to, to clarify that. Um, I mean, any, anyone, any owner of a property, you have to have a name. I mean, it could be an entity if you don't want to have your personal name on the title to a house. Maybe you can this put is someone saying LLC like if they're married and they're not on the loan and they don't want to be on title. Explain why like spousal binder. Right, 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 right. That's because in Florida and we have, you know, homestead mm -hmm. and, and survivorship rights in Florida as married couples. So it's just for, for, for purposes of, you know, tracking someone who has an ownership interest in the property, we we make uh, both spouses go in there. That's why when you see on some of the, the deeds, too, it will say married, not married, husband, wife. Mm -hmm. It's just to indicate that there is a spouse here that also has an interest in this property. I do believe when you're buying investment and non-homestead properties, just one spouse can be on that title. But it still is marital property. Correct, correct. Yeah. And it will usually indicate, too, the person is married. Yes. <laughs> it will married be one, one on party's name or one person's name, but it will say married. Yeah, if you want that homestead savings, your name's going to have to be on it. And Correct. the survivorship, you know, if anything were to happen, it makes it easier with the courts. Absolutely. Type of thing. Um, but yeah, but yeah, you, like you said, you can put it in an entity, in an LLC, but that's a lot more difficult because uh, you need a different type of financing. Most yes. uh, lenders will not let you finance with an LLC unless you're going commercial financing which is something if you're looking at that or cash. Yeah. I mean, usually, I mean, yeah, it's an investment property that may be a second home, vacation home or something like that. Yeah. Or you can put it in trusts, you know, and different things like that. If you really don't want your name on something. Right. Exactly. Yeah. There's, there's options. <laughs>
Yeah. So yeah. What else? What else? What other knowledge do you have? I love talking to attorneys because I always <laughs> learn things, and you guys are so smart. So yeah. What else do you have that you see? So we have the pre-approval. Like, get on that right away. You know, so you at least know sooner than later, so you can best protect yourself and figure it out. You know, whether you're going to sell or find another place, that sort of thing. Um, what are some other things that you think people should know? I mean, the, the, the one major thing, if you're actually really talking about planning ahead and, you know, planning for contingencies, you really need to consider getting a prenuptial agreement, right? That's, that, that's a big one that can avoid all these things before you even get married. So, um, got it. Well, thank you so much, Therese. This was awesome. And remember, if you ever need anything real estate related, uh, just call 850-378-1260. Google the Leavenworth team. And family law. She does more than just divorces. She does all sorts of stuff. Uh, You can always reach out to her, Teresa McKenzie uh, with McKenzie Law Firm. Yeah, so awesome. Everyone have a great day.